Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. We found on page 582 in your Pew Bibles for 1,113 in the large print. Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day, and we thank you for this time and this place where we can gather together, where we can openly uh, talk about who you are. We can openly um, praise your goodness. Or we ask that you would help us this morning to hear from your word. Pray that you would open our ears, open our eyes. I give us minds that can understand and give us hearts that are prepared and ready to receive your word into our lives today that you would continue to change us, even today, more and more into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you, through Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Isaiah 35, telling what, uh, what things will be like. It says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame, then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. New Testament lesson, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Found on page 864, and your pew Bibles are 1654 in the large print. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? 
Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Turning then to Acts chapter 3. Last week we looked at the end of Acts chapter 2, and we looked at it as a way of seeing what those foundational elements are, those essentials of what it means to be the church, the kinds of things that we are supposed to be about as a church. And we saw that the things that the early church were devoting themselves to, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And these were the things that they were about as a people. And that these, we said, are the things that we all ought to be about. Well, as it carries on from there in the story of Acts, um, the very next thing that we see is not just this general description of what life was like for all the Christians, but we get kind of a zoomed-in story of one particular person and how the kingdom of God came to him and entered into uh, his life in a very particular way. And so, while it is good to kind of have those general overviews of how uh, life ought to look for all of us together, there is a way that it it hits hits each one of us personally, and that we each have a personal um, role to play and um, have a way in which God comes to each of us individually. So here's Acts chapter 3. Verses 1 through 10. It was one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now this is actually not the end of this story. It will go on for quite a while as people try to make sense of what just happened here. And we'll look at that in future weeks. But for now, we want to just take a closer look at this particular event and what is happening in the life of this man as uh, Peter and John come to him as he's sitting outside the temple gate. And one of the first things that I I think is helpful to note here is that he is sitting outside the temple gate. He is not allowed to go in because of his condition. Now, how long has this been going on that he's been lame? 
his whole life long. Since birth, he's been in this condition. And how old is he now? Well, it doesn't say. You have to read ahead for that. But he was over 40 years old. So for over 40 years, this has been the situation. For 40 years, he's never been able to go into the temple. For 40 years, he's been in Jerusalem where people are coming and going festival after festival, day after day, season after season, year after year, coming into the temple, having sacrifices made, praying prayers, worshiping God. The temple, which has the uh, symbolic of the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies at the center of the temple. But this guy is on the outside. He doesn't get to be a part of that. He just gets to watch everybody else as they go past. Can you imagine how that feels, not just as you're growing up as a kid and you're watching everybody go in, but as you go on into teenage, young adult, middle age, over 40 years old, and every day this is how it's been. At some point, at some point, you think hope might just run out? This isn't for me. This is for somebody else. This is for everybody else except me. And you see that he's actually at the temple gate. So it's not just that he's off somewhere else where he doesn't even have to watch it. But he is right there at the temple gate. People are carrying him to the temple gate because people coming in and out, well, at least they may throw some coins his way. This is actually something that people were supposed to do in Israel, to give alms, to help the poor. Here he can't work. He's in need. People can give him, um, give him money, and that's kind of a, a good thing for them to do. Helps him as well. It's a win-win, right? Except that it puts him right there at the temple gate, watching everybody go in to where he can't go. That's the first thing. The second thing to notice is that, um, is that Peter and John come by. They're going into the temple. Now, why are Peter and John going into the temple? Aren't they Christians? This is a Jewish temple? Yes, it is. But Peter and John understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of uh, all the Old Testament, that it all has been pointing to Jesus from the very beginning, and they are going into the temple. In fact, throughout the rest of the New Testament, you see Christians as they go and... uh, Paul, when he's a missionary, going around from place to place, the first place he goes is to the synagogue in that city. Because the people who already knew God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who have known the Old Testament, he said, you are in a much better position already to understand who Jesus is. Because all of it has been pointing to him. And so, of course, they would go to the temple. And this is where they would um, not only be declaring the wonders of what God has done in the past, and rejoicing that he brought the Israelites out of Egypt and you know, celebrating all the things from long ago, but saying, and he's even working now. And let's, let me tell you about Jesus and the ways that that is uh, changing everything in our lives and the lives of those around us. So as they're headed to the temple, they run into this man. And they don't have any money. Anybody notice that when... He looks at them expecting to get something. They're expecting that he's, that he's expecting that they're going to give him some money, and they start out by saying, we don't have any. Why don't they have any? 
Didn't they know they might meet somebody at the temple gate? Is it they are opposed to giving money to people in need? Not at all. We looked at it a little bit last week, where this is one of the things that the early church was doing. This is one of the things we saw as uh, a better definition of fellowship than just hanging out together. But it was treating everybody like part of your family. And so, it said then in verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And so, they were not at all opposed to providing financially for those who are in need. Here's somebody who's obviously in need, and they're not providing for him financially at all. I mentioned that, just so you don't look at what Peter and John are saying to him and say, well, then, therefore, we are not supposed to help people in need financially. That's still a part of it. But in this particular situation, there's something else going on. So we'll back up just a little bit at the first thing that Peter says to him. He asks them for money, and Peter and John look at him. And they look at him. Says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. I wish it would give some sort of a time frame in there. How long did they look at him before they spoke? Was it just the, the glance of a notice? And, oh, they're... The language used here is actually they really, really looked at him. And I have to wonder if it might have been a little bit longer as they really look at him. And then the first thing that Peter says to him is, look at us. And wasn't he already looking at them? He's the one who spoke first. He's the one who asked them for money. He saw them coming. He asked them for money. Of course he's been looking at them. And yet, not really. And so Peter has to get his attention and say, look at us. At this point, the guy does really look at them. Not just as another couple of people who are coming into the temple. Maybe some people who will throw a bit my way. But, oh, maybe these are the people who are going to give more generously. Maybe these are the people who are going to uh, provide for me financially in a way that you kind of call it a day at this point. And then, shattering those expectations, Peter says to him, Silver or gold, I do not have. And you know at this point, ah, great. But, Peter continues, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts. Do not miss that. This is not just a story about somebody who couldn't walk and now he can walk. That is a part of it. It's a big part of it. But it's also a story about somebody who, because he couldn't walk, was on the outside of the temple. Had never been able to go in. And the very first thing he does when he's able to walk, he doesn't go home and tell his mom... (laughs) Guess what happened to me today? No. Immediately, the first thing he does is he goes into the temple with Peter and John, 
and he's praising God, and he's jumping around, absolutely ecstatic at what is happening. And then, of course, the question is, how did this happen? What is it that took this man from being outside the temple, never able to go in, to suddenly being able to go in? What is it that took him from being uh, unable to walk to suddenly able to walk and jump? And it is Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Peter says. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. This is what's going on in the life of this man, and this is what's going on in the early church, is you have the, uh, the power of Jesus coming into people's lives and changing them. By the way, I hope you'll notice that we already read uh, in John a very similar, very similar story where Jesus approaches a man who's been laying there for 38 years, nearly 40, laying there for 38 years, unable to walk, and Jesus says, get up and walk, and he does. And now here we, what we see with Peter and John is that they are doing the same things that Jesus was doing because this is Jesus continuing his ministry in and through his people. Not on their own strength, but by the same spirit. Now, what do we do with a story like this? Is it just of historical interest where we look back and say, well, that's how it was? That has nothing to do with us? Surely not. I think in this story we have to see ourselves in a couple different ways. One, I think we need to see ourselves, all of us, as those who are the lame man sitting on the outside of the temple. In and of himself, there was nothing he could do to get close to God. From birth. Is that not the situation we're all in? Born in sin, born, turned away from God, and nothing that we can do on our own will get us any closer. That's our situation. Until Jesus. And when the power of Jesus comes into our life, that takes us from being on the outside to being on the inside. It takes us from being apart from God to being together with God. And this is a situation we have. And if we are not jumping and dancing and celebrating and praising God because of that, have we stopped paying attention? Read those passages in Isaiah 35 again. <laughs> Leaping and dancing and jumping for joy. This is what it's like to be close to God when we were once far off. Secondly, we also need to see ourselves as those like Peter and John. Peter and John had some easy options. They already knew God. They already had had the power of Jesus in their life, and as they are going to the temple, they are going to, uh, to praise God for what he's done for them. But they also understand that it's not just about them, that there are other people around. And so as they're walking into the temple, and there's the man sitting there, they have some easy options. One is they can just walk on by. Or they might feel bad if they did that. So maybe they should bring some money with them so they could just throw a little his way. That way they get to feel good about themselves and still walk on by. They didn't do it. They didn't do either of those things. Instead, what they do is they understand that what God has done for them, he also wants to do for other people. And the same way that they have been brought close, now they are to bring others close as well. And so they stop, and they look at this man, and they say, in his situation, 
Money might help a little bit, but that's not what he really needs. What he really needs is a healing. Physically, spiritually, he needs to be brought close to God. And that's not where he is right now. They look at him and they say, look at us. There is a a human interaction that takes place there. I don't know if you have ever um, really sat down and listened to somebody's story who is in need. Or if you just walk on by or throw some money so you can keep walking on by. Or if you've actually sat down and listened to their story, looked eye to eye with somebody, and tried to figure out prayerfully what do they really need. This is what Peter and John are doing. This is what we all ought to be doing for those around us. The gospel does not end with us being brought to God, but now through us, the gospel is to go out to others as well. That we would bring others to God and that they would be praising God and jumping and leaping for joy as well. Now, there's one final thing, and that is at the very end of this passage where it says, uh, verses 9 and 10, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. First of all, I love that it says used to sit. The same man who used to sit begging. Not anymore. He's been changed. But secondly, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When people's lives are changed, those around them take note. They may not be able to explain it, but they at least notice. And when they notice, that's when the questions uh, start. How do you explain this? And of course, as we'll see in the weeks to come, the only explanation is Jesus. So, as we go from here, let's remember our own position as the beggars who have been changed, and then let's also see ourselves as those who are sent to bring Jesus into the lives of others, that they would be brought close to God, resulting in praise all around. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.